to Four Spikes. As always, I'm your host, Jonathan, along with my co-host, Greg. Yeah, hey guys. Hey, and uh, we have with us today uh, returning champion uh, Jarrett, Judge Jarrett. So, what's up, Jarrett? Hey. Hey, and uh, we also have a very special guest with us today. We have the infamous and famous Travis Wu on. Uh, hello, Travis. Uh, <laughs> infamous? Okay. Well, mostly from those <laughs> dunk videos I've seen on your YouTube uh, spot, the, the Chinese Dunkin' Man, but... I mean, I'm saying if you ever want to meet me on the basketball okay. court after a Magic Tournament, you know, we can see how that works in real life. Okay. Yeah, but uh, I, I uh, also want to say Travis of uh, Pro Tour fame, he's had, uh, was it four Pro Tour appearances? Yeah, I had one in 2008. Okay. Uh, back in the day. And yeah. uh, also, uh, you top-aided uh, that GP Oakland. Um, and, yeah. Uh, You've also written quite a few articles. You used to have a series of web videos, and um, now you have your Twitter account, uh, Travis D. Wu. That's T R A V I S D W O O. So you're you're kind of you're pre- I think you're pretty well known on the scene, and you're now a part of Team Channel Fireball, right? Yeah, I've been writing for them, and definitely a great thing about Magic is getting involved in the community. So I've always been all about you know writing and talking to people and sharing and all that. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely an honor to be on, be on this because uh, podcasts, uh, that's the next step. I've never been on uh, one before and definitely cool to be invited. Yeah, well, we, we identified you from early on as someone that we wanted on and uh, was finally able to reach out. Actually, first I was trying to go through uh, TSG and some other people, but he was like, ah, we're on the same team, but... I don't know Travis that well. You might want to yeah. find another way. So we uh, so yeah. took a little bit. Before we jump into all that, we, we want to give our, our traditional shout-outs um, to ChannelFireball.com for uh, hosting and also to MTGCast, without which none of this would be possible. So uh, if you are not already checking it out, which you probably are, if you listen to us, check out ChannelFireball.com and MTGCast.com. A lot of great content out there and just phenomenal for the Magic community in general. And uh, we also want to give a quick um, introduction for anyone who isn't familiar with the show, if this is your first time listening. So, Greg, what is uh, Four Spikes all about? Um, Yeah, in case you haven't picked up a little bit um, from from, uh, our our guest, we we are... uh, we're a spiky podcast that likes to talk about um, subjects that are really interesting to PTQ grinders and, and people that are interested in the the pro community and, and becoming um, a better magic uh, better magic player. So uh, competitive competitive level magic uh, is the type of stuff that we like to talk about and anything related to that. Absolutely. So glad to have Jared and uh, Travis with us today. Jared can uh, give give any any knowledge that we need about the specific ruling and all the judge things. Um, by the way, uh, before before the interview, Jared, how's your judge test going? Did you did you level up yet? No, I'm I'm gonna try to take the exam in Dallas. Okay. Okay, cool. Well, we look forward to hearing about that, and I'm sure our listeners are going to be very excited when you pass that, and uh, and good luck with it. Um, okay, so, yeah, so, uh, Travis, um, to start off with, yeah. uh, you, you're a big kind of proponent of the whole idea of the psychology behind magic, and specifically within the game, yeah. and uh, why don't you talk about that a little bit? All right, well, in general, uh, I played sports throughout my life, and I'm going to assume that 
most listeners have. You know, some of them haven't, but like basically for a team sport, you want everyone to be comfortable. And if you're you're playing scared, you just don't perform. So there are a lot of things that go into magic psychology, but I think the important one is the idea of playing comfortable and confident and not playing scared. And uh, I don't like to do this actively. Once I was aware of what's going on, I kind of stopped because I see my opponent as a human being, you know, but there are things you can do to get your opponent in that mindset. Like uh, you can uh, uh, call a judge on them for time, and that's not a bad idea if you think that's an actual problem. Uh, every time they go into the tank, you can say how much time is on the clock. They like start to think there's 20 minutes, and that just starts to disrupt their concentration. They like start to get aware of people over their shoulders. Like when they're in the tank, you can you can like perk up and look over their shoulder like there's an audience. Like make them really aware that people are watching them. Okay. But like a lot of this is just protecting yourself and making sure you're comfortable, getting used to people watching you, and like not letting your opponent tilt you, and that's kind of hard to do sometimes. So it's interesting. That's kind of like a way to not exactly tilt your opponent, but keep them on their toes. And But you say on the other side, effect of that is for yourself, is being aware of maybe when those things are done to you and how to be more attentive and yeah. how to be more prepared for it. Now, how, do, you, do you have anything before the game even starts or maybe this would be it's more for the sports analogy, but uh, where you would kind of hype yourself up before a big match or a big tournament or anything of that nature? Um, well, I like to be social and stay positive and listen to positive music, just get into, like, the mindset that I'm going to win before I even sit down at the match, and it just doesn't matter what my opponent does. So as far as positive music, would Rebecca's uh, Black's new song Friday count for that, or...? Is that... It would be if you're into it. Uh, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> okay, because that's pretty popular. I mean, I just hear the kids talking about it. So yeah, okay. Um, what what what's on your iPod before a tournament? Uh, it depends. I like some hip hop, some electronic, and techno. I mean, you, you're just gonna have to find me, and uh, I'll I'll show you if you ask. Okay. And then we have a, a playlist from uh, from tournament to tournament. Okay, and so the playlist changes depending on your mood for each tournament? Does it change, like, week to week? Yeah, and it also depends how many people I know at the tournament. Like, at a PGQ where I know everyone in Seattle, I'm just going to be talking to everyone. But if it's, like, I go all the way to a, a pro tour, I might you might see me on my uh, my iPod more. Okay. Getting pumped up. Gotcha. And uh, do you uh, – I know – I know um, before sports games, people go into the huddle, or they you know the coach will talk them up, or you know give a little pep talk, or you can kind of like imagine yourself hitting that game-winning shot, or whatever it is. You know, there's all yeah. sorts of like positive psychology stuff for that. Does that translate at all to your magic game? Yeah, like on the way to the pairings and on the way to the tables or whatever. Whenever I see a friend, I'm like, "Hey, man, you got this. No, no one can beat us." Nice. So that kind of just that group mentality, positive reinforcement. Yeah, yeah, because, like, if you're in the right mindset, you're going to play better. I, I've i been in this, and I'm sure you guys can relate, where, like, you're just, time's running out, and your opponent is getting impatient, and you're starting to sweat, and there are people behind you, and you're like, oh, my God, why is my mind in this fog? This normally does not happen. I swear I'm way better than this. And you make yeah. a mistake, and, like, everyone sees, and you're like, oh, my God. Yeah, totally. 
Oh, completely. I uh, I know exactly what you mean. I had uh, a situation yeah, that comes right to mind. Cool. Do Do you remember? It's the worst thing ever. Do you, Travis, do you remember any situations where you where it was your first big tournament and you learned the hard way, like these lessons? Oh yeah, like 2004 or something. I was 14. I was playing in a nationals qualifier at nationals. It was the final round, and uh, <coughs> so I went. I played in the nationals. Over my shoulder is my brother, and then over my other shoulder is Mike Thompson. I don't know how familiar you guys are with him, but yeah. uh, back in the day, he was yeah, mm-hmm. a big-time pro. He has 100-some pro points. Mm-hmm. I'm playing white weenie in the first turn. You know, my hands are, like, shaking like leaves. I've got a planes, and I've got a Savannah Lions and an Isamaru, and I just play the planes and say go. Oh, wow. Don't, don't play anything, and Mike and I are just like, Stone face. They can't say anything. Wow. But I just had to keep playing. I ended up winning the game, unfortunately for my opponent, you know, skill game. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But a lot of that is like forgetting your last mistake and just moving on in the match. You need to not think about missing a shot because that's not going to help you as the game goes on. Mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of like in basketball, they always talk about shooting your way out of a funk. And I guess in Magic, it's kind of yeah. the same way. You just, if you make a misplay, you got to yeah. correct play yourself out of it. That's um, in the past. You just got to keep going. Right on. And I know that, actually, it's funny you mention that, because I remember there was a while ago when Greg was at a tournament. I think that was a GP grinder. Greg, correct me if I'm wrong, but you were in the finals or semifinals, and it was one of those situations where you wanted some backup, and you kind of got ditched yeah. because everyone was hungry and so it was late. Go ahead, yeah. Go ahead. National national qualifier. Um, not, actually, not national qualifier. We were at nationals, and it was a, it was a, a grinder to get into nationals. And it was the finals of a grinder. So if I win, I get a get a bid into the to, to nationals. If I lose, I get like a half of a box or something. Um, the, my opponent. Uh, we actually, I think we talked about it in in one of our first episodes. I don't know if it actually got through because <laughs> we uh, we lost a couple of our, first, our very very first episodes. But anyway, if anybody that hasn't heard the story, long and short of it is I um, my opponent pulled out all the stops um, and I didn't with regard to um, um, like having friends or, um, around around him um, and um, the friends were like kind of, like, not harassing me, um, <clears throat> but definitely, like, poking at me. I, I asked, I, I actually got to the point where I asked them to leave. Um, like, I, um, I, and I, and I didn't have any friends around me, and, like, my confidence was, was, um, was tilted, and I, I hadn't eaten, and, like, all sorts, like, just a variety of, of problems put together, and I ended up, I ended up losing, a match that I, I think I, I reasonably should have won. Um, yeah, you just can't make the most basic plays eventually, and like. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Um, I had one. I had one like that where um, I'm sitting across from this guy as the second day of a GP, and um, he was. I think he got paired up, and if he lost, he's out of contention, or at least, I, th- I think that would be his second loss, I, I don't remember, but he, he was in a bad place, and the first, when he first played uh, and sat down, he, like, started in on me, he started saying stuff like, you know, 
if I if you let me win and I money, you know, I'll I just need this I just need these few points to get on the pro tour for this year, and this is the last opportunity I'll have for it. So you know, you should probably you should just like drop to me, and you can still you know get in even if you do drop. Whereas I don't know this guy from Adam, and I have no reason to drop. So of course I'm like. You know, <laughs> is your deck presented? Like, let's play. But he he just like starts in on me talking the whole time, and I guess he's like a pro poker player or something. I I don't remember him, and I I don't remember his name, and didn't recognize it at the time. And he has a couple uh, friends who's sitting with him, and the whole time he's like, well, you know, how about we how about we draw? And I'm like, let's just play it out, and and we'll see what happens. And so we start the match, and from the very beginning he's going incredibly slow, like his his opening hand, you know, to mulligan, to not mulligan, you know, land drop, and this goes on and on and on, and this was uh, Zendikar block draft. He's just taking a ridiculous amount of time, and I, for some reason, just was not, I, I don't know what was going on, like you said, you know, Travis, my confidence was blown, and I wasn't paying proper yeah. attention, so I didn't call a judge, which I absolutely should have, because he was for sure stalling the whole time. Yeah, man. That's yeah, I should have called Jared. See if you were there, man. You would have had my back. Yeah, I I would have got that guy. Yeah, so game one I win, but it takes a really long time. But I just smash him. But because each of his like you know seven or eight or nine turns, or whatever he got that game took so long, we only have like twelve minutes left on the clock. So game two starts af- after shuffling and sideboard and everything. So game two starts again. He's taking incredibly long, and I have a very advantageous board position. I have uh, a couple Nissa's Chosen out. I have Electropotence. I have the 2-3 guy in my hand that can pick up creatures and start, you know, zapping stuff. He has a couple guys on the board. It, it, it ends up that I end up, like, the the, uh, the time and around is short. No one else is, is left, so a ton of people come around. His friend is still there. He's still, you know, messing with me. And the judge comes around just to watch because there's not other matches going on. And I asked the judge, I'm like, okay, I won the first game. If we draw this, then I win the match, right? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, okay, you know, whatever. Play my guy. Uh, you know, hit your guy that regenerates. He regenerates on my uh, day of judgment. And then, because I'm like, okay, I have no cards left in my hand. And I could just play it out to win, but this isn't obvious. There's obviously no way that I'm at, you know, 20, you know, 4 life or whatever. He's got nothing on the board, you know, there's there's no way he can win at this point, so I'm just going to wrath and say go so I can get out of here and go to the bathroom right quick before the next round, thinking he would just concede because it's an impossible situation, or that we would just, you know, draw quickly. So, I do that. Right away, his speed of play picks up immediately. He's like, you know, land, creature, creature, go. I'm like, you know, land, go. He's like, land, uh, you know, creature, swing in for, you know, landfall, make my 2-2 fire, 4-4, four, four, swing in, you know, go. And we go into time right then, at, you know, when there's like, when I'm at like 12, he's got creatures on the board, I have uh, burst lightning in hand, and it's it's like a very hairy situation, and the last turn, right before time goes out, 
I'm th- I have the burst lightning in hand, and I'm thinking, you know, if I, uh, I'm just, I'm taking a little bit of time to think, but not a ridiculous amount. And the guy's like going crazy on me now, and like he's like, judge, judge, stalling, da da da. And I just lost it. I was like, dude, you've been stalling this whole match. Don't talk to me about stalling. I showed the judge what was in my hand, what I was considering. I said, obviously, I have a decision to make, so I'm just gonna. He's like, okay, you can take five more seconds, or whatever. But um, anyway, so it was just funny that you know the whole like every single way through the game he's like kind of like picking at me mentally and every little advantage he can get I could, and I could tell us what's going on but for some reason I just didn't behave appropriately call the judge right away or you know play around it or whatever it turns out that uh, in the last uh, like I, I ended up drawing it would have been a it would have been a draw um, but I had my burst I drew my second burst lightning so I was able to finish him off you know in the last uh, turn of turn, so I got the win anyway, or else it would have been a tie, but he was obviously just going for the draw, and and it was very close, and it could have been, but that was only because I misplayed after misplaying before by not calling the judge by day of judgmenting when I didn't need to just to try to, you know, take a bathroom break quickly, so anyway, that's, that was one that comes to mind for me. (laughs) Yeah, the best players are good at uh, making their opponents uncomfortable, like, First time I played against Ari Lax, he calls a judge on me for slow play. First time I go in the tank, like five minutes into the game, mm-hmm. this is Grand Prix Seattle. This is the first Grand Prix he top-aided before uh, too many people knew about him. And uh, I ended up primal commanding a mute vault, which doesn't work if you just activate the mute vault. And I did some other... Ah, uh, because it I did, uh, <laughs> I did uh, deny, reality, I reality and Reign of Tears into the same land. Oh no! Uh, it, was just, it was just terrible. That was the Cascade Land Destruction deck. Yeah, I kept six lands and listed one in the third game. I was just like, <laughs> he did a great job of just tilting the enemy. I'm oh, sorry. That's okay. I'll take it out. So, what what was the uh, what like what what was going on in your mind as that was happening? Like, did you realize? I mean, the uh, you're not too conscious of it when it's going on. You notice the tilt, but you don't know why it's happening. How do you how do you and get like, yourself out of that when when that I don't know comes? you can try to will yourself out and just move on it's pretty hard though like just try to stay calm but uh I don't know it's a mental thing so like I I had I had somebody um um on yesterday that um tried to do the same thing to me and I think I've got a little bit of advice as to how to deal with it because I I ended up not getting tilted by it um so I I called a judge on on my opponent. Um, we, it was MMS qualifier, first MMS qualifier of the year, um, regional qualifier. And I call it's like round three. I, we're both two zero, and my opponent is shuffling, um, um, is riffle shuffling upside down. So the tops of his um, of his sleeves are facing the, the bottom, and he's looking at the cards. Um, um, now he's also like randomly side shuffling and stuff, but he but he's doing that frequently. And every time you do that, you're actually resetting your shuffle. You're, you, you're, in terms of randomization, it's once you look at a card, it is no longer randomized, and you have to start over from from trying to randomize your deck. So I figured he was just like it was just instinct that he would be doing a side shuffle before presenting it, but after one. Riffle shuffle that way, he presents his deck. I call a judge on him. Um, um, 
Now, the judge comes over and then goes and talks to a head judge because he knows it's a problem but doesn't know exactly how to deal with it because they have to determine whether it was intentional or not intentional and that kind of stuff. So they're, so while the judge is dealing with, with that, trying to determine what the appropriate kind of feedback is, I'm getting hardcore harassed by this guy. Um, now, typically that's, that, I mean, that's something that you kind of, you, you might expect, you know, somebody to be frustrated, but rather than take any onus on the fact that, you know, it's something that maybe he didn't know about or whatever, it's all about me. It's all about the fact that, you know, I'm a jerk for calling a judge. I'm right. like, hey, I just wanted to play some magic, but... Or he could just learn how to shuffle his deck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, so I... Um, um, Initially, like I, I, I take the, um, like my first, my first instinct is to I- ignore him. Is actually to like just like sit there and ignore him. But the problem with that is that he's going to be able to take to take shots and cracks at me all day, um, without without me really ever having a chance to defend myself. But you also have to be careful if you like get aggressive back at him. Well, then the the rest of the match is going to be awful because you're both going to hate each other, and there's going to be little warfares, and you're both going to be tilted. So you have to be you have you have to kind of toe the line. And I I base you know in that particular situation, though it's different than some of these other situations where it's an intentional like just a high pressure situation. I mean, this is, this is early in the tournament; it's not particularly high pressure, um, but but it, it's definitely still relevant because of, because um, we're talking a little bit about tilt. And, and about intentionally tilting or, or, or avoiding becoming tilted. Um, I, I, I spoke to the fact that, hey, this is, this is actually my responsibility as a player. If I notice you doing that, I, there's discipline, disciplinary action um, that can be called upon me if an, if, if, a, um, if an observer notices the action and me not um, making a comment. So this is, this is my responsi- it's my responsibility. If, if I if I weren't to, I could be um, uh, repercussions could be held against me. Um, so that I'm not a rules lawyer. I I'm also here to play magic. Um, that um, momentarily like was was a little frustrated, but then I I, I could see that he that he that he calmed a little bit. Um, and shortly after that. Um, the a judge came back and started to like scold him about it. And uh, after, by the end of the match, we were very very cordial. And um, the guy like in in later matches um, um, came up to me and like was like chit chatting, asking me how I was doing and stuff like that. And it ended up being um, um, like just the first time that this that this guy probably came in, in, into contact with somebody um, critiquing that. But uh, anyway. Um, um, well, it's like in any bully situation, you know, someone's basically trying to bully you when they behave that way and start berating you, so you stand up to a bully, they're going to back down, that's how it works. Exactly. Uh, well, for those of you those of you who are interested in what bullies do or being a bully, I have something really interesting for you guys mm-hmm. that I haven't really ever written about or talked about. It's, it's extremely interesting, and very few people are aware of this or what's going on. But the topic here is table space. When you when you get to the table, how much of the space do you take? Mm. I have a friend. Who, I have some friends who do something called encroaching, and this is completely <laughs> ridiculous. Okay, yeah. 
And crouching <laughs> is where you slowly take more and more of the board, and you do that by playing something out slightly on top of their card, and they pull their card back. When you untap, you untap forward. And you just keep doing that <laughs> until eventually your arms are fully on the table and you're relaxing and they're cowering in their corners. You know, their their lands are about to fall off the edge. And like, that's, this is a real thing that people do. I no one, you. Yeah, I, just, no I also find it amusing because I'm, I'm mentally picturing what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, and no one pays attention to it. But, like, uh, I mean, a lot of that is making sure you have enough space to be comfortable. <laughs> just draw your line. Get there early. Draw a 60-40 line, take 60%, you know. Don't take any more. Don't encroach throughout the match. Just defend your line. That's that's true, and getting there is very important, too, because you want to be able to decide which side of the table you're sitting on. I like to get there so I can see the clock, so I always try to sit down first, and I can be aware of how much time is left. And I used to like to get there early so I could uh, play somewhere where more people can see my opponent. Mm-hmm. Right, so he can get tilted by people watching that, <laughs> and that was really useful one time at the JSS. Uh, he sat to the ropes; they they would rope off the area, right? So spectators can't get in, and some spectator sees him draw an extra Vidalkin shackle, so like he sneaks it from his lap when I'm playing white winning, and he uh he gets the match loss, right? Huh. But uh, now I kind of like I kind of like making my opponent sweat, showing up a little late because. You know, they're looking around, like, hoping their opponent doesn't show up. And their opponent just shows up at the last minute. And uh, it's a letdown for them. Also, because I don't like to get there and start shuffling early. Because I don't know if people do this, but I heard about it, that they used to do it back in the day. They'd come around behind and see what you're playing if you're, like, going through your deck or whatever. Mm-hmm. So until my opponent shuts down or sits down, my ta- my deck is flat on the table. Huh. Interesting. I do that last piece. I also do. Um, like my my deck is either in a deck box or sitting flat down, and um, I, until my opponent is across from me, I do the exact yeah. same thing. He might just go to the wrong side. It might not even be his fault. Yeah, and well, and and and, and also, um, as you play throughout a day, if you're in like a like a like a PTQ setting or like a, if you've got like a hundred, two hundred people, you're typically going to be playing. Um, around people that you've either um, 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 played before or that you've played next to in frequent rounds. So you've got people, whether it's your opponent or, or, or if it's just some of the people that are adjacent to you, you've got some people when you get midway or, or into the latter portions of, of, the, of the day that actually know exactly what you're playing or know yeah. that you played a friend of theirs or something like that. And it's very... Um, frequent that one of those people will start interacting with you, asking you how you did and how you got out of a certain situation. And I make a, um, a very clear effort to avoid talking about um, anything that could speak to cards that are in my deck, what I'm playing, anything of that nature. And a lot of people do not. And as a result, you can actually glean that kind of information it, um, out of your opponent. Um, or out of your opponent's friends, if they're doing they're doing that and, and not withholding that information about their deck or their situations, their interesting game states. So, um. right on. And as far as the we we talked about encroachment and a few of the other aspects, 
one other thing that's interesting to me about the psychology magic and that you discussed a lot in your videos was the idea of not just how you your physical space on the table, but your own physiology and, and physical space in your seat and how you're yeah. kind of flicking your cards, how you draw your cards, all that type of stuff. Can you uh, touch on that a little bit? Man, I remember this uh, PGQ. It was like my second top eight or something. It was in 2004 or 2005. And I was like, I thought I was waiting. I was sitting upright and leaning forward and flicking through my cards. And I don't remember exactly what the card was. He played like a moment's piece or something. I was just backbreaking. And the moment he played it, I just slumped into my chair. Right? And everyone sees it and people like noticed it. And I, I remember someone making a joke, but like, that's the th kind of thing you cannot do because you cannot let your opponent know how backbreaking something is or like what you really need to draw. Because it's a lot of people or everyone plays emotionally, but you can't express that because you're just giving up important information, which they can uh, use to make better plays. Yeah, they now know in, in game, like if that's game one, they now know in game two and three that that's the game plan because that's a card that's backbreaking to you. You don't have answers. Yeah. So uh, specific things I look for is like if they're trying to flick a card off the top of their deck or whatever, draw a land, or like uh, just how they react to, <clears throat> to various plays, positively or negatively, if they think they, they're winning or not. Sometimes I ask them if they have this card or they have that card just to see how they'll react. But, uh, I mean, it's definitely difficult, and I base almost everything off of uh, technical reads but it's just something extra that comes up from time to time. Like when they tap their deck? Like when they, yeah. like they hit, their, hit their deck? That's something that, that I noticed. When I first started, I noticed just with a couple people, and now I notice it all over the place. Yeah. And that's... that. If any of our listeners aren't aware of what we're, what we're talk, of what I'm speaking to, that's like when you need a card, you like tap your deck hoping for luck or whatever. Yeah. Um... um that's a, that's an atrocious read because if you if you see if if you see that on your opponent you know um, you know that you have them like you can you can read so many details about their hand because it means that they don't have yeah. they don't even have a, a mild answer let alone like like a perfect answer. It's usually not that overt though. I mean that's a, an well, example you, yeah. where you're just like usually when oh yeah okay he needs the card. I think usually when it's that overt it means that they're trying to trick you. It means that they're like trying um, to get you to think that. That's what my experience. Well, I mean, right? I, I think it has a lot to do with what what level yeah. of competition we're talking about. Because I I agree with you. Um, at at, at well, all levels, people respond to your emotions and like yep. they think they're reading you. So like yeah, yeah, this is an example I used in my article. But one thing I used to like to do when I had arrow volley trap is act like I'm flooded. I just set my hand down, cross my arms, uh, tense my lips, and watch the next match over. Like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> yep. Th then they attack me, and I get a three-for-one with an airball trap. <laughs> nice. Have there been any, uh, have, have there been any, um, situations in, or, let me ask like this, sorry. Do you feel like those types of, like, little tricks of the trade are more useful in constructed or limited, or is there no difference? Uh, both. You know, it just depends on the situation. Okay, because I know that there's it's it's almost seems like at a higher level when it's constructed and you know you're not sure how many day judgments that they're running main deck or you know they, if they're 
you know, if it's fairies and extended with cryptic commands or, you know, there's all, there's all sorts of uh, situations, but I feel like it, it comes into play a little bit more. I feel like it's used a little bit more in my constructed uh, tournaments than when I play in, uh, in uh, limited ones. I don't, don't think it makes a difference in my opinion. Aside from that, are there ways, uh, we talked about a little bit in the beginning, but are there things that you think our listeners would appreciate uh, as far as, I mean, the Arrow Volley Trap is a good example, but are there other things that are more generic that people can do to gain advantage? Um, well, I mean, the idea behind the Arrow Volley Trap thing is that if you are at a point of advantage, you might uh, show body language that you don't think you are and vice versa. Because <laughs> players at all level generally respond uh, to the emotions you're projecting. And if you're projecting your emotions on a really basic and not overplayed level, they don't even notice. They're just like, I mean, because it's like the encroachment thing. They don't notice it. They're, most of the time, they're just looking at their cards. They're not actually looking at your body language, but they're absorbing it through their subconscious. That's like straight out of Sun Tzu's Art of War. Like, when weak, appear strong, etc. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you want to keep them guessing also. If, once they're aware, it doesn't work that well, but yeah. it just depends how good an actor you are, I guess. I mean, you don't need to use this at all, necessarily. Do you, do you think that uh, it pays to reveal afterwards that you've tricked them? Is that ever advantageous? Oh, um, yeah. I mean, like, in the Arrow Trap, only example... Once you arrow volley trap them and you just go back to your normal body language, they're like, oh, my God, what happened? <laughs> and they're just, yeah, just going to be horribly tilted at that point because it's obvious. Or you could just say even, like, just kidding before you play it. Nice. Just to get that extra little jab in there. That's funny. So, one thing I, I guess I wanted to throw out there to get you guys' input on it um, so I think that a lot of this stuff is extraordinarily interesting and in the, in the type of stuff that you want to be really aware of in your opponents. And some of it, is, it's definitely tips and things that, that you can do. But I, I certainly um, don't want to encourage our listeners to um, to put their opponent, to treat their opponent poorly. And yeah, some of these things the are game. actually doing that. Like in the encroachment yeah. thing, I think it's probably overstepping the lines of what, what I would consider um, acceptable behavior as, as, like, as, a, as, a, as a magic player. You're not really treating your, your opponent with a terrible amount of respect. But there are other things that I think you know, are just, um, just intelligent ways of interacting in a game where you, you, your opponent is, the way that your opponent is acting is information. Sometimes that information can be false information, but it, it but it's also something that you can take it take to your advantage. And the information that you're giving your opponent is information that they're going to attempt to use to their advantage. Um, if and if you're giving them a false read, that it's not your fault <laughs> um, or, or your responsibility to to be honest with the way that you're interacting, um, whether you're you're um, seemingly distracted sure. and disappointed sure. when in fact you've got a, a exactly. nutty card or things. Yeah, that's I mean, your you responsibility. Can, you can be at a tournament for approval from your opponents or because you want to win the tournament. <laughs> right. Yeah, provided that provided that you're you're treating them um 
Well, and that, and that's, yeah, that's, a, that's a good point. You yeah. know, to be I mean, respect but, them and respect them after the match. But it's a, and it's also important to know when that stuff is being perpetrated against you, and I think that's one of the most useful tips because Absolutely. you know learning yeah, it the exactly. hard way is much more painful than the easy way. And I think Travis's point on the subconscious is phenomenal. I think that does play a big part, and it's one of the more subtle cues in magic, just like getting a proper meal and having access to proper hydration throughout the tournament, you know, all, like, all that stuff plays factors, so too, the little subconscious hints and cues are, I think, equally important to the big ones, you know, like, the, like the, the, big, the big important psychological aspects are there, too, but the little subtle ones are, are I think, very important to be aware of in yourself, and also your opponent, if, if that helps. But, uh... Whenever... Uh-huh, go ahead. When, so... So I, I really appreciate the fact that you just referenced food and hydration, um, because on multiple layers, I think that that's a really, really important thing. Um, we've talked about it in the past of how you, as a, when you prepare for tournaments, you need to make sure that you, you know, sleep well the night before and during the day. You you eat periodically throughout the day, and you always have water available. These things are important because it it, it makes you as sharp as you possibly can be. Also, recognizing that if your opponent or you have not done some of these things, that that means that your emotions are going to be much more clearly um, utilized by your opponent if you're yeah. not utilizing, doing those things, and that the reads on your opponent are going to be stronger if they're, if they're dehydrated, if they're exhausted, they're not going to have the energy to be able to to be as sharp as right. they could be. Yeah, their tunnel vision a little more, start to focus on the cards more. Exactly. And if they're, hu- if they're hungry during the match, I say start to eat. Exactly. I mean, well, well, that's, that's something that that that, that I've 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 admittedly done done before as well. I think it's a little. I mean, it's something that I definitely wouldn't do to to friends because it's just I feel extraordinary. Well, I've actually I've been in that situation. I've offered my I always carry like some protein with me, uh, but I always like offer my opponents some, you know, because I I'm I think there's two different sets of situations to look at. One is, and it's kind of always competing in my mind too, but I want to be as successful as possible, but I also want to play as high-level magic as I can because that's a big part of it for me, not just winning, but also the intricacies of the game and the little puzzles to figure out and how to best win and all that. So I want, you know, and and I don't know if if it's that or something else, but I usually uh, will, if I have some extra nosh in my opponents, I'll just offer them some... um, if they, if they look hungry. Uh, but it's hilarious when you do that and then you get, like, dismissed in a very rude fashion because that's like, uh, you know, that's like... Uh, they think that you're just taunting them. Right. Or, <laughs> by, or, by offering them food. Right, or they just okay, want to like, you actually tilt them more. I've seen this happen right. multiple times with, with you at, yeah. like, at a PT2 level. And I'm just yeah. like... Here's another style of... Uh, of uh, just how you deal with the match. You can, you know, worry about them tilting you or you tilting them. But if you do something like Jonathan does and just give them some food, there's just a white flag before the match begins and probably uh, judge time calls and stuff like that are going to be more lenient. They're not going to be tilting you. Right. You're not going to be tilting them. So, uh, yeah, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing to do when you're not giving up too much. Well, I did, because I did, they're going to be nice to you. I, 
Well, Travis, I didn't finish the. Po- I do poison the food before I give it to him, but that's <laughs> no, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, no, but uh, yeah, no, for sure. And and I think having a civil engagement before and after is good. Especially, I think the most important thing too to factor in is that if people are more inclined towards trying to tilt others and and that type of stuff, that's just in your nature, and that's going to represent yeah. itself. But to be aware of that, and also that if that's happening at your local scene meeting in FNM or your local store for. Uh, whatever type of tournament, that's going to be, like, haunting you and your reputation and stuff. But if it's, if it's a, I guess you could call it a tool that you bring out on a more rare occasion at bigger tournaments, yeah. you know, th- that's a big thing. Like, if you're in the last couple rounds of a Grand Prix playing for Top A, just pull out all the stops. Mm-hmm. I don't care about making friends, you know? Mm-hmm. But if you're at just, F&M and you're playing against your, yeah, your friend's the, 11-year-old well, I mean, sister... You don't want to. Uh, you play in an F and M and a Grand Prix for different reasons. Right, right, totally, absolutely, and and I think that's important. The context is very important for your mentality, for and you know for all that stuff. It's 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 actually a conversation I had the other night, or maybe this was a couple weeks ago with uh, a buddy of mine who uh, is a pro tour player and he's very good and he's you know he, he's a very high performing player, um, and he. Has a very high rating, but he was playing in an F and M, and there was a situation where I, I don't know exactly what happened, but basically um, it benefited his opponent. Like he he gave like a take back or something like that. It was some something that wasn't innocuous, but was also kind of like the right thing to do against a player who you know he you know it it was an obvious situation. It was just one of those types of things. And that same thing came up a little bit later, where it was a much grayer area, and the person was trying to tilt their opponent, obviously, and they kept bugging him about priority, and they finally got this little victory, and you know were going off and berating the, the person about it. And this other guy who's a friend of mine came up and he basically like just tore the guy apart in front of everyone and was like, you know, that's not what this is about. This is FNM and you know, this is to have fun. And his point was that if your FNM scene is not healthy, meaning people don't want to keep coming back and aren't having a fun time and it's not a uh, good environment and it's not productive and you're not bringing new players into the game, then it's worse for everyone and you are actively making the game worse by behaving like that. Whereas he he may or may not have displayed that if it was at the you know top eight of a GP or a pro tour or something. And I think the yeah, I mean the context is very important. Um, and speaking of important context, uh, if we can, I would like to go to our next segment, um, which are the rogue deck segment. If that's cool with everyone. Yeah. Okay. If and if we want to talk more about psychology, we can bring it up later too. Uh, but. The rogue decks are another thing that you're very well known for, Travis, and you've kind of made a name for yourself. I would mm-hmm. say, besides Connolly Woods, you're probably one of the most famous rogue deck builders out there. Um, and it's and it's almost like a, a badge of honor to say that. Also to say that you uh, basically like brew, brew your own decks, and uh, you to each tournament you try to bring more or less an original deck, hey? Yeah, I mean, I... I... Different people play magic for different reasons, and that's cool. But for me, it's always been about expressing my creativity, or an outlet for my creativity, and expressing my individuality. So whenever I go to a tournament, if I'm not playing my own deck, I feel like, why am I even competing? Because uh, it's not about winning, it's about like doing my own thing, or like doing something cool. 
Well, and and you can and you've proven that you can do both. You can do your own thing. You can do something yeah. more innovative and win. And you've done so, right? I never felt like it was going to hold me back because I always felt like there are plenty of decks out there. It doesn't make any sense to me why there's only a couple best ones. There's so many combinations. Mm-hmm. And you and uh, the- yeah, but I mean, a lot of the times it takes a lot of work to do this. So I understand why people don't do it. Takes a lot of time brewing. You can't get attached to your ideas. You need to throw them up <laughs> and move on because, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, it takes a lot of ideas to, to finally get a good one. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, and I and I like yourself love that. I think that's one of the best parts of the game being able to come up with your yeah. original decks. And you know, I think also, you know, I think. I came around at a time, and this may or may not be true for you, but before the internet was big in Magic, and before everyone net-decked, there was a time when homebrewing was all you had, and until that month later when the Duelist came out, or Scry or whatever, you didn't know what the hot decks were, so you had to really, um, you know, you, you there was the Dojo, and there were a couple other sites but forever, but, you know, you yeah. uh, homebrewing was a much bigger deal back then, and I kind of come from that old-school mentality, um, but... You you had a lot of success with a couple decks in particular I want to talk about. Could you mention, A, how you got the Living End deck, and B, if you felt that it gave you advantage at the tournament, and if so, how? Um, when, when oh, my God. Living End. This is just the highlight of my magic career. Emotionally, I have nothing but warm feelings. I was actually I was playing in a PTQ. I was in the top eight. And while I was waiting for the finals to start, I was going to play against Sean Lex. I was talking to Zane Big about Extended because that was going to start soon. And he was talking about this Restore Balance Cascade deck. So I go on and I lose to John in the finals. So instead of going out and celebrating, I go home and like, I'm like, man, I have the fire now. I want to brew. So I come up with Living End. And I end up like not even uh, – uh, changing very many cards. Like, I end up keeping it completely secret. I, like, tell Zanebag. I tell my brother and no one else. Finally show up to the PTQ. end up getting ninth on tiebreakers. Then I'm like, oh, screw this. I'm flying to Oakland. I don't even normally fly to Magic tournaments, but, like, uh, if I have something insane, I just have to do it. So I went there, and no one knew what was going on the entire time. No one knew how to play against me. <coughs> They'd make all kinds of mistakes. They'd, they'd be like late in the Grand Prix and they're reading my cards. <laughs> and my my winning the stand match against Saito, he didn't know what I was playing. Wow. And so I felt like it was a huge advantage. Yeah, and so with that deck, I played a PDQ and got ninth. I played in two Grand Prix, average of 1,000 players, and got like fourth and 21st. So definitely that deck was super successful and it definitely got a little lucky. Uh... In the maybe in the matches and coming up with it, but uh, well, how, since how, then, how would yeah, how would people how would people like respond to you when they saw that? Like you, like can you can you go over just quickly maybe like one or two scenarios that you remember where you just totally blew them out because you had such a rogue deck? Okay, against Saito, this is my winning in match for a Grand Prix. I get down and I sit down there. I remember Cedric Phillips watching this this play. Uh, and thinking it was cool, so I felt proud about myself after, and I, that's one of the reasons I remembered. I don't remember a lot of plays unless I talk to someone about it. So Saito, before the match, I feel that he's trying to look at my deck, right? And I know he's playing Hypergenesis at this point. I'm playing Living End. So him trying to look at my deck tells me that 
He doesn't know what I'm playing. So right, in this matchup, your, what, you, what do you mean by trying to look at your deck exactly? Okay, like there's some things people do. Uh, while I'm shuffling, he like leans forward at an angle where he might be able to see the bottom card. And when he picks up the deck, he turns it sideways to shuffle and then looks down at it. So there's a chance of him getting a card. Okay. Uh, some people oh, do this pre-match geez. to get an yeah yeah. Some people do this pre-match to get an advantage, and there's not much you can do about it. You can call a judge, but that just gets an eye there. So you know, I called a judge, and but it, it was more for a slow play because the match was was slow, and I wanted to. This is actually great for psychology too, because Saito ended up getting tilted later in this match as a result of like what was going on with the judges and the crowds of people. Hmm. Um, but like basically, what happened in the first couple turns, I knew he didn't know what I was playing, so I just played out a couple fetch lands. Normally, with the living end, you just start cycling creatures. But I just held on to him. I didn't want him to know what I was doing because uh, the way you win this matchup is he plays Hypergenesis, then I go over the top of the Living End. But if I don't have that, uh, if he knows what I'm doing, he can just wait for a really long time, right? And just, like, he doesn't even have some of his creatures or what? Or, like, uh, just wait till later in the match, wait till he the second Hypergenesis so he can go over my... My second loving end. Or, for example, he could do a really small hypergenesis to begin with. So I've got all these cyclers in my hand that I'm saving, and he doesn't know what's going on. So at the th on the third turn, he uh, plays hypergenesis and puts everything into play, right? <laughs> like six, six guys, he only needs to put one into play to make me pop my loving end. So I go over to the top of the loving end and get him. Immediately, he's super tilted, you know, I've got a judge walking over his shoulder, and they're huge crowds. He starts to try to concentrate by slapping his face, and in the second game, he, uh, his deck has this interaction with Oblivion Ring and Terastodon. Right. Right? You put him into play at the same time, and you stack him so that the thing goes away forever, and you get the, you right. get the 3-3. Three, three. He just did it wrong so that my guy got exiled, because <laughs> Oblivion Ring turned into a 3-3, three, three, and my guy came back. Oh, wow. So he's just ma yeah he's just making mistakes like that at this point. And obviously Saito, you know one of the one of the greatest players in the game. I know he's uh, accused as a cheater and all that, but like clearly that means his mental game is on point too. No, his his skills are are unparalleled for sure. He's one of the best skill up yeah. for sure. So that was a really interesting match in terms of like the wow. advantage a rogue deck can have, and also uh, psychology tilting your opponent. Well, it's such a funny thing because you. What else in that format besides Living End? You know what I mean? Like it's it's just what like what a blowout that's got to be just so devastating when you know you 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 like look yeah. at the card you've seen it a couple times you're not quite sure you like read it and you're like okay all Hallow's Eve okay all my creature you know like what a blowout okay, yeah like that's awesome. He had never seen the deck before, and it's the final round of a Grand Prix. Normally, you know exactly what's going on at that point. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Uh, although, yeah, that that is that is kind of curious too, because if he's looking at if he's looking through your deck, and maybe he sees like a Cascade spell, if he's cheating before the match, yeah. you know, that might even serve to actually further destroy him, because you know he's like, oh, Cascade, okay, okay, you know, and. Whereas if it's, like, one of those carapace beetles or whatever, you know, yeah, it might further confuse things. But that's fascinating. Okay. I mean, like, I don't know that he saw a card, and if he sees, like, <coughs> a monster's carapace, that doesn't tell him what's going on if he doesn't know about the deck. He's just like, what is... 
What? <laughs> Some kind of awful Grixis unearthing. Yeah. Right. Oh, that's funny. Uh, okay, so, so, so big proponent of the rogue decks. That deck was awesome. I also um, really liked that. You know, you and I share another commonality, which is love for land destruction. Uh, do you want to talk yeah. about uh, how awesome land destruction is for a little bit? Oh man, I mean, I used to always play it, but they've really toned it down, which is probably good for the game. So when I got in, I used to have this mono red land destruction deck, and this qualified me and my brother for like four JSS champs. It's just, oh, actually, first very first PTQ I played in, my brother played in. We had this broken land destruction deck. No one, no one knew about it, but I was like 14, he was 15. No one knew who we were. We just show up, and he goes five one and one into the top eight. I go five and two. There's just these two little kids with land destruction decks destroying everyone. And we had cards like Misguided Rage, which is three mana. Target player sacrifices a permanent. You know, just <laughs> the worst sorts of cards. But like Arc of Light, two mana artifact, three mana sack, destroy target land. Just the absolute worst cards. But the metagame happened to be such that it was just great because we'd come over with Rorix and Menacing Ogre and stuff like that. So, yeah, you can make your opponent not even get to play spells. doesn't matter how good they are. And uh, as far as land destruction goes, I never wanted to have to play a land destruction deck that relied on accelerants, which is kind of what I did with that block deck where I had Lotus Cobra, Nest Invader, Nest Invader and Overground Battlement. Right, because land destruction is four now instead of three. Yeah, you're wasting too many cards and too many spells, and you don't have enough room for the threats you want to play, so... Uh, I, I mean, I feel like land destruction's a little dead, and I have a special place in my heart for it, and I'm definitely gonna miss it. But well, I'm still, probably get to the game. I'm still running my destructive forces. I don't care. But yeah, I, I hear you. I'm, I uh, yeah. land destruction has been totally neutered um, as an archetype, but I guess that's healthy for the game. Jared was saying earlier that. You know, making sure your your opponent can't play does not make people happy and does not make for a fun fun game on on both ends. It's it's a way that uh, puts a different type of pressure on people that's not normally incorporated and is very one sided. They're pretty helpless when you have no permanence in play. Yeah. <laughs> also, yeah, I uh, qualified for the Pro Tour. Yeah, with uh, a Cascade Land Destruction deck. And that was awesome. I would reduce my opponent to zero permanence just because deck was really that effective. That is also an incredibly strong deck. That uh, one of my favorites. Yeah, Cascade was just such an insane dynamic. It really allowed for some broken crazy stuff. Yeah, totally broken. Yeah, broken dynamic. For <laughs> deck building. Yeah. Um, okay, so. Anything else that you want to tell our listeners about uh, Rogue Deck or Rogue Deck Psychology or anything like that before we move on, Travis? Or uh, I just want to leave on the note that you should believe that you can do it because you absolutely can. Don't be limited if you think you are. If you want to keep playing uh, established decks, that's fine too, but don't do it because you th- don't think there's another option. Okay. Well, very good. I think that's great advice. Um, and plus, you can get a huge advantage out of it as well. It's to your benefit to start thinking that way because, yeah. you know, once you're, when you're facing Saito in that last, uh, in the inner, in the in the winning in at a Grand Prix, and he starts that face slapping uh, when he's able to come back and play Magic again. 
You're going to living end him, and it's going to be awesome. And let's see, if uh, if we can, let's get into the idea of Magic the Gathering branding and how to market it better and what people could be doing uh, but aren't. And I know, Travis, you have some thoughts on this as well. Yeah, I've been thinking about it a lot because uh, marketing is my focus in school right now. I'm going to the University of Washington. That's what I'm studying. So I looked at what Magic was doing, and I have some problems with uh, just the way the brand uh, is seen. And I don't think that's necessarily Wizards' fault because, like, I have friends who are competitive players, and they hide it from everyone. They're in the closet. Maybe you guys have heard about this. Mm-hmm. And it's just completely ridiculous because the way you spread something is by is peer-to-peer. Your friend says, this is awesome, let's do it, right? Mm-hmm. So I think Magic... Uh, needs to make the brand better if they want it to be like StarCraft is in North Korea where everyone is uh, just screaming and going wild, right? So I, I think they're doing a good job of making the fantasy element cooler. If if we look at uh, like the thing they do for action, New Phyrexia, that's awesome, and a lot of people like that. But for me, that's still not what Magic is. For me and you guys, I assume Magic is about going out with your friends, even, and we need to keep in mind that most players are casual. It's about going out with your friends, mm-hmm. getting together in the afternoon, having a good time. There's like probably a bunch of you there. Maybe you're running a draft. Maybe you're playing some EDH. But that's not what uh, uh, Magic's brand strategy really shows. It focuses on the fantasy, but it's not really about the fantasy. So I think, uh, I, I mean, they know a lot of things I don't know, but I think it would be cool if they... Uh, established a type of advertising that's like, look, a bunch of guys having fun, meeting people, this is a cool thing to do. And yeah. people are going to get behind that. Like, uh, if it's like seven of your friends are throwing a draft and they're like, look, it's going to be completely awesome. You need to come with us. Like, that's the pull that Magic has on people. That's why it's popular is the social aspect. That's so fascinating. So I want to, I want to see them. I think that yeah. that rings true. Um, like, um, not only at the at the casual level, which which is the vast majority of of, of yeah. the market, but it's also at at a, at a more competitive level. I, I mean, I know for a fact at like from a PTQ grinder perspective, um, the vast majority of of like PTQ level tournaments that I go to, I go to with. Um, you know, two or three of a set of probably 15 different Magic players that that I really enjoy hanging out with in the Milwaukee area, or yeah. actually, I guess in the greater Midwest area, <laughs> to be fair. <laughs> um, but uh, like it's it's all about the it's, it's all about the drive like to and from that tournament. It's all about the experience of during that tournament, like going and checking out how your friends are doing, talking with them, and just like you're really just using magic as an excuse to have a day trip or yeah. like a weekend trip to like hang out with your friends. So I'd like to see Wizards capture that experience and communicate that rather than show why like uh why Phyrexia is better than urine, right? <laughs> right. Sure. That's that's fascinating. That is a really good point. I think if any Wizards employees are listening or anyone who has anything to do with marketing and magic, that's a that's a great Point. And the other point you mentioned is goes along with that is there's kind of like a reverse viral networking thing going on where 
normally, if you really enjoy something and it's awesome, you want to share it with as many people as possible. You know, some people that's Christianity, some people it's, you know, basketball, whatever, you know, but for magic, it's like, you're really excited about this, you really like it, you want to share it with as many people as possible, but it's actually not that way. You're kind of, you know, like... I am open about it to anyone, but I'll even describe myself. I'm like, I'm a total dork. Like, I love, you know, dragons and wizards. I'm into all that stuff, and I play magic, and so that's how people see me. But, like, my landlord is, like, a cool, young, like, kind of, like, hipster guy who's good with a hammer, and he socializes a lot, goes out a lot, and he's always trying to kick it. But, um, you know, I'm like, well, Friday I'm F&Ming or whatever. He's like, oh, magic. I'm like, yeah, you should play. You play chess. Like, you're into that stuff, so you should come play sometime. And I'm, like, kind of getting him opened up to the idea of learning to play. But it's it's so much different than any other activity I could ever think of, like, or any other social thing. That is such a good point. And, yeah, that's so, that's fascinating. I never thought about it like that. It's like Magic is cool. There's no reason we need to explain why it's cool, you know? Yeah, yeah. It should just be taken as a given. That is fascinating. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's really good. That's a good idea, and it's so weird that it isn't looked at it like well, that, right? It's, it's and it's even it's even true. Like it's surprising that it's not not the focus from a marketing perspective because it's even true at the at the at the the at, at the pro level. I mean, it's just, I mean, Travis is, is making this this comment with full knowledge that his peers um feel this way because like um like I, I, all right so we've we've got a mutual mutual friend that um that goes to all domestic gps and um is on the pro tour and he the main reason that he plays the game is exclusively because his friend base like like his his, his best friends in the world played his game at that level so he goes to, G, to, to GPs and to PTs to go and hang out with those people, and that and that shouldn't phase any of us. That shouldn't that shouldn't like that that shouldn't surprise any of us. That that's that that's the type of thing that just that keeps um, that keeps the game together at, at a competitive level. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's 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 this competitive drive within all of us and this will to succeed and like wanting to do well at the game, but that's just. That is actually just the basis of how we can do well enough to be put in that situation where we can afford to keep going back to these to these these events. It's really about. I mean, it's all about seeing friends. I've had a, a draft group that's been alive since the seventh grade. I just drafted with my buddy who got me into magic when I was five. Believe it or not, last weekend. So like, uh, say the focus of magic for them from branding perspective is constructed. It's it's like one deck, one friend, right? You're playing with a friend, but your friend stops playing, you stop playing, because now what are you going to do? But if you have a draft of eight guys, your friend stops playing, you still have seven guys. So it's like, we need one. Everybody call up your buddies. We're going to get one more guy. It's going to be easy. So, like, draft groups are super strong. They survive. I don't know how many casual players draft, uh, but I feel like that's maybe a better part of the game than constructed. Uh, for for spreading the game, but at the same time, uh, I know constructed makes them more money. So, I mean, there are a lot of things they know that we don't know, and I imagine there's intelligent people working on it. I'd I'd like to know the reasonings, you know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know specifically about casual 
casual drafting, but I do know that like it reigns true. I mean, just the more I think about this, it, the more that it, it really reigns true from a, from a local perspective. Um, you've got peers that are in draft groups, and when when the draft when that group starts to to fizzle, it, it, it becomes like a plague to the group. You know, if you only if you only get so we've got a friend um, Rob. He's actually a really good friend of Russ's, and Russ used to be a part of this 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 one group. Um, it, it's like eight to eight to fifteen players um, that would out, would draft on like a weekly basis. They'd buy a case every set. They'd buy a case and they'd just draft and play field events. And when that group started to to dwindle down to like four or five people. Um, it, it, it became unsustainable, and as a result, the the group actually, um, actually just pretty much everybody quit Magic except for Rob and Ross. And I think that honestly, to be perf- that those two people have been have sustained their Magic playing because both of them have become a, a part of of our group. Um, Ross on the podcast, and 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 Rob Rob plays in in drafts and and, and play tests with us in stand. Yeah. So like. It, 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 I think that the community, you can't speak enough of how important and significant the community is to the game. And if, if, if we're talking about marketing, trying to take advantage of that and, and grow the game in a, in a much more open way, um, rather than having a, a good portion of your population that is closeted about the fact that they actually play this game, that it is yeah. a, a, a focus for, the, for them socially. And also, they want to capture the lifetime value of their users. You know, they want them playing forever. They don't want them dropping out. Right. And like I said, if it's if it's me and my friend, a two-person group, that group is clearly not sustainable. But a 16-person group, it's pretty surprising to me that that broke up. But, like, a lot of those guys will get back into it, and two of them, uh, you know, they continue to play. But, like, I bet you over over time, as the group got smaller, they brought more and more people in just to like uh, replace spots, you know. Yeah, for sure. Well, yeah. and uh, you live in in Washington, Travis. Yeah, Seattle. You live in Seattle. Yeah. Wizards lives in Washington. I think they're in Seattle. Yeah, that is right? true. Yeah. Have you ever thought yeah. about interning or working there or anything, or get, trying to get in on their marketing from a professional perspective? Uh, I have, and. Uh, and I'd like to, so we'll see if that happens in the future. That seems like a good I mean, idea. Uh, there's there's a, re- a reason why I've spent so much time thinking about this. Nice. Well, we look forward to that announcement when it comes, uh, although I don't know if that would mean you couldn't play anymore in competitive tournaments, but either way... Uh, um, I mean, if it happened, it would mean I couldn't, but that's okay because this is uh, like a greater cause to the community, you know? That's awesome. That's a great way to look at it. And let me ask you this then. One thing that comes up with that as far as the branding and all that is, did you, well, you probably met your girlfriend after Magic, right? You probably haven't been dating that long. Sure, yeah. Okay, so how did that come up and how did you deal with it? I mean, it's just not an issue. Like, I have girlfriends and I have friends I meet after Magic. I've been playing Magic since I'm five, so obviously, like, it's not even a thing. And I I mean once someone is, is close to me, I'll invite them to a tournament. Like I've brought uh girlfriends over the years to tournaments always. It's just a cool thing to do. Like I wanna show you my life and why it's cool. 
Like I've never, I've never had a problem. Well, I guess ever since I, the point I've been like 15 or 16, maybe it's just like definitely a point of pride playing magic. So once you're proud about something, it can only help you because basically it doesn't matter what you're doing. As long as you're enthusiastic about it, that's going to spread. If you're like embarrassed about what you're doing, why, why am I going to be interested in doing that with you? But if you're like magic is completely awesome. That is, that is really infectious. Absolutely. And, uh, it's it's also something where have you ever taught your girlfriend how to play? Um, oh, well, generally like if there's a girl like I'll, that I'm uh, been with for a while, you know, I'll kind of teach her. They're never really interested in actually learning how to play. They're more interested in learning what the game is about and what it means to me. Okay. But I mean, I know I know some people teach their girlfriends and they get really into it or whatever. But like, I think it's more to show their appreciation, you know, mm-hmm. like show their a way of showing their interest in the guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, and this isn't uh, to, to eliminate the girls who are just playing it because they like the game. Right. Of course. Yeah. Cause they'll, they'll find it on their own and they'll, they'll have their own relationship with the game. Yeah. As far as, that's that's actually fascinating. I'm gonna have to think about that a little more, and and that and that it sounds like uh, you're getting your money's worth at that college because that's a fascinating way to look at the game and how there's kind of like a reverse marketing strategy going on where people aren't actively sharing it with all their friends and family. Yeah, well, I mean, also you need to think about the kind of money they have. They might not have that much in the marketing department. I don't know. I gotta so, be thinking that they're making hand over fist right now. Like they've been one of Hasbro's are, leaders for. Like for a couple cycles in a row now, and they—I mean—it doesn't mean all the money's going back into them, though. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, I know they've had some interesting marketing campaigns in the past. They had <laughs> videos on MTV for a while that were ridiculous and hilarious. The summer beach ones from the '90s, where they had like, like Mike Long and you know. Oh God! Those you gotta Google those. We had those on a previous show notes, but I'll I'll look for them again. But those are hilarious. And then um, you had the ones that were on like Cartoon Network and some other kind of like I think geared towards a younger audience with the like visual representation of the cards coming out, like a big ogre coming out tearing up Bob from accounting or something like that. Yeah. Um, when Portal. But it was always out. one guy and his friend, right? Playing. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Not like very true. Guys. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's very true. I think that I think that um, what they what they focus on in the past is that you know it's a way that you can have some fun. I don't think that they've they've ever really so um, talked about the fact that this is a this is really a group activity. This yeah. is not a, a, exactly. a single player or a just a two player game. It is a group activity, and I think that that that, that yields to a, a completely different set of social stigmas. Um, you know, if you're doing, you know, something exclusively by yourself or exclusively with one other person, that's not that's not really saying much. Um, that's not really saying anything particularly positive. Mm-hmm. Um, so can, be, can be made about that because you could be weird by yourself. You could be weird but with one other person. But if you've got a huge group of, of friends, it doesn't matter. Weird weird is not relevant. Yeah. The last time I played with just me and one other guy in a room was like, 2007 maybe or 2006 like it's always 
a big draft. I mean, if I'm not uh, in, in a big group, then I'll play on the line, right? Right. Sure. I mean, on, but, I mean online is another I, world, and that's a, that's a different set of marketing. Um, yeah. That, that 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 I don't think has even been been touched. Um, well, I think Magic Online appeals primarily to competitive players. I could be wrong about that. So I think they uh they they want to maybe focus their marketing on more of a people they aren't already communicating with. But yeah. I mean, I don't know. I I don't work there, so. Right on. Well, yeah, I think I think that's that's an interesting subject that we brought. I'm glad you brought it up, and thanks for 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 bringing that to our attention because I never thought about that before. Um, in that way, I've always thought about marketing, but not not in that particular way. It always seems like there's something off a little bit, but not quite sure what that focus is. But I'm gonna start thinking about that and and relaying it to people in that manner. And maybe there's maybe there needs to be like a like a magic pride. You know, like Magic Pride Festival or like some kind of magic yeah. campaign or something like that. But I don't know. Anyway, that's yeah. your department. You can, you can that might be a little dramatic. Yeah. Let's go on to the next part of our show. We'll briefly go over Standard, Midwest Masters, SCG Atlanta, GP Dallas, and then wrap it up. Um, Greg, you want to uh, quickly go over yeah. those topics? Yeah, so... Um Anybody that's in in the the greater Midwest, I guess I'll, I'll refer to it. Um, uh, there's a there's a, a series called the Midwest Masters series. Uh, we'll link it we'll link it up on uh, on the show notes. I think it's just like MidwestMastersSeries.com. Um, but if you check that out, there's there's re, there's there's trials and which you can have it at your local store. Anybody in the, the Midwest, um, their local store can actually ha- run a trial, and if you um, if you win a trial, you get you get entry into I think they're like championship, which is at Gen Con. Um, anyway, so this series um, also has regional events. I think there's eight of them. The first of which to kick off the season was actually on Saturday. Um, I went down with uh, our friend uh, Tony Coletti, um, uh, a listener of our show, and uh, and and Rhino. Um, we all started off uh, 2-0, and none of us top aided. Uh, which is a little unfortunate, but uh, um, it was a lot of fun. Stan- it's 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 I think it's exclusively standard constructed, um, and it, basically it's just this 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 uh, series of tournaments, um, kind of like TCG player that uh, you has a, a fair amount of cash, and it's all pretty much exclusively in the Midwest area. So uh, something to check out. Um, um, kind of moving on. Uh, also, this weekend was uh, Star City Games Atlanta. Um, uh, that I think that's actually just finishing up. At the beginning of the show, they were in the top four, and it looks like uh, it's still not posted. But uh, um, more of the same. I mean, there's there's really there's nothing uh, other than like 15th place Naya build. There's not uh, a deck that that is is. Um, Particularly unique, although I guess there is this um, this green-white aggro deck, which is a little weird, um, and that took fifth. So that's something to check out if you're looking you're looking um, at Dallas, you're looking at, at some of the upcoming standard decks. You can check that out. But really, what we we saw here is that there's um, three of the um, Darkwing Duck um, blue, white, black. Uh, um, deck and then a handful of of actually just blue white call blade. Um, none of the splash red top sixteen 
which is kind of noteworthy, but it's more of the same, not really worth a whole lot of, of discussion, um, but uh, it's something to check out just to, as you're as you're looking towards Dallas and trying to get an idea of the metagame. The metagame is pretty much Callblade um, with, with a little bit of um, of of Valakut and stuff. I um, I played Rug this weekend, and I'm looking to, to, to probably play that again. Um, it's a deck that definitely gives you a, a lot of options. Inferno Titan is the Stone Cold uh, Stone Cold nuts. It's just it's just insane. But uh, um, there there are some 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 decks like Vampires that can give that deck a problem. So um, and Vampires has been increasingly popular because it's a very budget deck still. So uh, yeah, there's, it's it's interesting. Um, kind of moving into into GP Dallas. Um, both Jarrett and I leave Thursday. Jarrett, when do you get into, into Dallas? Uh, like 2 p.m. Yeah, I get I get I get into town later, more like midnight. <laughs> um, and then uh, my friend Alex, uh, another listener of our show, is is also flying in. He's he he won a GPT. Um, so he's He's going to be getting in, I think, also late Thursday, maybe maybe early Friday. Um, I don't I don't really recall. And then we're all leaving on Monday, so uh, Dallas should be great. First uh, first domestic standard. Um, yeah. So somebody's typing. Can you mute? Uh, sorry, guys. It's okay. Um, you can just cut that this little piece. All right. Um, so yeah. So. Dallas should be great. Um, first, um, first constructed like real, real big constructed event um, of the season. It's actually going to be my first constructed GP. Um, yeah, it should be should be a good time. Uh, is there anything you, you really want to touch on, Jarrett? No, not really. Okay. Well, before uh, we wrap oh, up, uh, John, let's. Yeah, John Avon, the awesome land and artist. He did all the great, the best Endicar lands, full arts. But, uh, Jared, you did want to touch on one last piece before we wrap up, right? Oh, right. Um, like, gaining a mental advantage is fine, but just don't scumbag anybody, please. <laughs> yeah, like amen. It. Absolutely. That we we fully endorse that statement here at uh, Four Spikes Inc. Yeah, absolutely. Like, just treat treat your opponents with respect. But um, don't get disrespected like, either. If you but, see people but, trying to encroach if, and all that stuff, you be aware of that. Yeah, be call aware up. of things. And if all you see Jarrett, call him up, because next time you see him, he's going to be leveled up. So holler at that. Um, definitely want to give uh, Travis's um, Twitter um, a shout-out. Um, you can find him uh, Travis D. Wu, uh, T-R-A-V-I-S-D-W-O-O. Um, and then also, you should probably check us out if you haven't before. Um, we're on Twitter, Four Spikes. Um, you can email us, fourspikes at gmail.com. We're on Facebook, search for Four Spikes. And uh, um, we're also on MTG Cast. Every episode is on MTG Cast. And then we're also sponsored by Channel Fireball. Um, and most of the time, you can find us on, on Channel Fireball uh, on, the, on the main page. Yeah, I want to thank you guys for. Uh for inviting me on. This is definitely a lot of fun. I like what you guys are doing. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. And uh, hopefully we can have you in on, on some future episodes as well. Yeah, I'd appreciate an invite. That was, that was good. Cool. All right. Well, we're going to wrap up the show then. Um, any closing thoughts, guys? Any final words? 
Um, so love the game. Follow me on Twitter. And uh, thanks for listening. Absolutely. And if you ever see Travis on the court, don't let him dunk on you because that's a big mental advantage. It's never happened. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll catch you next time. Adios. Bye, guys. Yeah. Uh, thank you.